Portions of the day's programming are reproduced by means of electrical transcriptions or tape recordings. Good day, friends. Welcome to the Locked On ACC Extravaganza, or something like that. Hi, I'm Brian Wilmer. I'm your host. I am from FB Schedules and College Hoops Digest, and here today, talking to you about the ACC. Glad you joined us. February 27th, 2020 is your date. If you want to interact with the program, you can do it at LockedOnACC on Twitter, LockedOnACC at gmail.com, your email address. If you want to follow me for some reason, you can do that. I am at Sports Matters on Twitter. Love to hear from you, however you would like to interact. We'll start with the wackiness in Blacksburg last night, the heroics in Blacksburg, however you want to label it. Virginia beats Virginia Tech 56-53 on a Kihei Clark step back to win the game, essentially. There was still one play, but that shot provided the final margin. Mamadi Diakite, 19 points for Virginia last night. Six boards. Clark with 10 and 6 of his own. Also dished out six dimes. Braxton Key, another double-double for the Cavs. 10 points, 11 boards for Key. UVA, decent night. 42.9% from the field. 21 of 49 6 of 21 from 3, which is a bit of a problem. Just 8 of 10 from the line for the Hoos. 22 points in the paint for UVA, which was fairly significant. UVA led the game. Now, get this. When you hear the final score of 56-53, UVA led 26-11 to at the half. 11. That's the lowest first half total by a Tech team since they joined the ACC in 2004. Tech shot 21% in the first half. From three, they were worse. They shot 8%, roughly. They were one of 13 and didn't get to the line at all in the first half. But Tech came out and was sizzling in the second half. They shot over 51% in the second half. They were 14 of 27 in the closing 20. Eight of 14 from three, just six of seven from the line. Tech got 36 points off the bench And interestingly enough, had just one double-digit scorer. That one double-digit scorer, Landers Nolly, who did not start. He had 13 points, five boards, two helpers in 32 minutes for the Hokies. So you're probably wondering to yourself, what went through Kihei Clark's mind when he hit that shot? Great question. Glad you asked. I'll let him answer it. Here's Kihei Clark. Um, I mean, we've been in so many, we kind of just know what to do. Um, being in a late game situation, we kind of just try to stay calm and just run, uh, uh, run whatever, and get a good shot. They sagged off, so I kind of just went left, and uh, they kind of stayed with our shooters. So um, I try to get up a good shot, and I just try to make a play when when it's only that much time left. You kind of just try to get up a good shot, and uh, yeah. So luckily, I made a shot. Yeah, I kind of knew they were kind of play the drive, so I kind of crossed back and uh, I let it go. How did it feel when you went in? Uh, felt good. I, I kind of knew it was going in as soon as I let it go. So. Let me just say, I, I hate the how did it feel when it went in question. I know people have to ask it. I know why they have to ask it. But it's the most obvious thing ever. Just, again, media problems. Hashtag media problems. I have a few of those that I might go into at some point. For instance, why are you leaving password protection on stat broadcast feeds from days prior? But again, don't want to get off onto a tangent. Kihei Clark Just a cold-blooded shot. If you follow Kyle Guy on Twitter, he said the same thing. Just an interesting evolution to watch Kihei Clark going from a first year on that team where 
he had three NBA guys essentially around him to now being one of those stars just a year later. Tony Bennett also had some thoughts, as you might imagine. Here's Coach Bennett after last night's victory. Yeah, um, sometimes we call timeouts. Um, sometimes, you know, it just I decided not to, and thank goodness I didn't. I just, you know, they could have – sometimes they can set it up. The score was tied, and um, sometimes it's just better to let a guy get momentum and attack, and he backed the guy up, and what a beautiful, um, beautiful three. I mean, that he's, he's a winner. I've said that often, and, um, you know, I – kind of challenged him I didn't think he had the greatest second half with um some of his defensive things but against Pitt he he responded in the right way um with how he played and um again we needed every every ounce of it he's improved for sure I mean he made um, he just he make big shots. That's Kihei. You watch him. I remember watching him play, and he doesn't have textbook form, uh, none of that. But he always makes the big shots, or a lot of the times he makes big threes. And of course, he's worked hard. And I just through reps and through uh, maturity, your shot I, I think improves. I think he's better shooting a little more on the move and uh, off the dribble. But I think it's just you know each. Well, he's only been here two years, so he's gotten better in one year. So each year, he's our veteran sophomore player, second year. Yeah. I told you, I flip a coin before each game and say, this game we're not, this game we are. So, we've. I mean, it's been unbelievable how many of those we've been in. Um, you know, you just sometimes you let the official know what you're going to do, and um, we just decided not to in this case. And, you know, you, I wish I could tell you the exact right way. The last few times we've been good and guessed right, and, you know, you want to avoid uh, anything. But having a three-point lead, obviously, is, is a nice cushion. The, the nice joke there from Tony Bennett about being a veteran sophomore player. There was an interesting point, too, that came up in the post-game remarks that didn't make it into this, but just an observation. A lot of times teams will call timeout and the opposing team will use it to set their defense. And the hypothesis was there that they didn't want Tech to be able to set up its defense. So just some food for thought. Also some interesting words from Virginia Tech coach Mike Young. And I can tell you for five of these podcasts how much I like Mike Young. Here are Mike Young's thoughts after last night's game. As young as you guys are, how are they handling this? I don't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, we got Louisville next. Uh, you don't. I'm getting into all that. You know, we got to find ways to win. Um, we don't get into feelings around here. All right. Uh, we just played a really good, hard basketball game against a very good opponent, and we lost. All right. So we'll take tomorrow off out out of necessity, and we'll load it up, and uh, we'll find a way to go to Louisville um, and uh, play a uh, play a really good ball game, and you know, give ourselves a, sh- a chance to win. But, but surely you find it encouraging that it is, is certainly at halftime that you guys fought and made a game of it there. I mean. Certainly, certainly, yes. Nice follow-up question there from Mark Berman of the Roanoke Times, a familiar voice. Just an interesting line of discussion from Mike Young there about we don't deal in feelings around here, paraphrasing him. That's not to dismiss the feelings of his kids or how they're adjusting to things. It's just if you know Coach Young. He's about results. He's about tangible results, and he's not about trying to make guys feel better. I, I get the sense from Coach Young that results make kids feel better. Not saying he's detached or unemotional or anything like that, but that's just Coach Young. And some 
interesting additional thoughts from Coach Young. Let's go into those. Are you okay with how you defended the Clark three-pointer there at the end? Yeah, God, Mark. I mean, kid make great shots, all right? You know, I mean, um, Jalen Cohn did a great job on that kid, and he is – I mean, he's dynamite. I thought Jalen did a very, very good job. I will consider and I will think should I uh, have called timeout to get our defense set, but, um, you know, they're not going to th- blow it at you. You know, you know exactly what you're going to get, and it's below 30 on the shot clock, so they're going to play for the last shot. Um, the kid hit a, uh, a dribble move, step back and he banged it. Okay. Um, that's one of those, you tip your cap and you move along. Once again, not surprised by those words from coach young, knowing him very much a guy who just is of the mindset. If you get beat, you get beat. I mean, he went with his fastball and proverbially and UVA homered off of it happens. Coach Young's not an excuses guy. He's not anything other than just telling the truth all the time in pressers. That's why I came to love him. It's why I came to really understand him as a coach and as an observer of coaches. But I also found it kind of enlightening that he talked about, you know what you're going to get from UVA in that particular situation and still couldn't defend it really because of the shot that Kihei Clark hit. Just an amazing shot. UVA... Clinches a double by in the ACC tournament by virtue of that victory. There was a lot of confusion after the game about, well, you know, if Syracuse wins also, does that mean that UVA didn't? No, UVA clinched a double by because of the win that they have over Florida State. So UVA clinches at worst the four seed. I saw something earlier today where there's still a 12% chance that they could get either the two or three seed, which would, of course, imply a win over Duke. A win over Louisville, not likely. Those numbers bear that out, but it is still possible. Virginia getting to 20 wins, the ninth time in Tony Bennett's tenure in Charlottesville they pulled that off. They are definitely setting themselves up well for postseason play. Are the Cavaliers in what's supposed to have been a rebuilding year for UVA. We'll talk more about them as the tournament approaches, of course. Coming up talk about two more teams with aspirations in the postseason Syracuse and Pitt hang out more of Locked on ACC right after this welcome back to Locked on ACC February 27th 2020 one segment of the books two more coming we break down last night's ACC hoops action let's go next to Syracuse and Pittsburgh Syracuse hammers the Panthers 72-49 Looks kind of as though Pitt's running out of gas a bit. You'll hear that from Jeff Capel. But before we get to that, I wanted to talk about Jim Beheim's thoughts about Pittsburgh, and then we'll talk about what Syracuse did last night. Some pretty thought-provoking words from Jim Beheim and some pretty direct words about what's going on with the Pittsburgh basketball program. When it comes to rebuilding a program like Jeff is trying to do, you go through a rough patch that they're going through right now. It's just a matter of sticking with your convictions, getting through whatever little storm comes up in a season, and then applying your principles. You know, they played a lot of good basketball this year. They beat Florida State. They beat. They played a lot of good basketball. Tonight, they, they you know, they just didn't couldn't make anything. You know, when that happens, the game's no good. It's hard to play the game. When you don't make things. They weren't making threes, but they were missing inside shots. They were missing pretty easy shots. And uh, when that happens... 
uh, you know, there's nothing you can do about it. And it takes time. They have a lot of young players. Their freshman is as good as any freshman in the league. You know, their guards are still, you know, they're sophomores. They're going to be really good players. And, uh, you know, it just it doesn't happen overnight. They were, to say they were at rock bottom isn't even a close close approximation of where they were when Jeff took over. They were below that. That last sentence or combination of words, however you want to label it, they weren't at rock bottom. They were below that. It's easy to kind of shake it off when Jeff Capel comes in and makes a comment like, it was a dumpster fire when I got here. That's one thing. But when you hear somebody like Jim Beheim, or this is something else that well, you won't hear on this podcast, but it's something that was said last night. Somebody mentioned in the postgame presser that they were talking to Jim about and Coach Capel immediately interrupted him and said, Coach Beheim. He said, we call him Coach Beheim. When you're my age or, or around that, you call him Coach Beheim. The respect that he has for Coach Beheim, you heard what Coach Beheim had to say about his program. And really, I don't think you can look at this year or any year really as a lost year for Pittsburgh. I don't think you can consider... If they don't make the tournament, you can consider it a failure. That's completely missing the forest for the trees. It's a team where it was a big-time turnaround job, and Jeff Capel embraced it. It's not going to be immediate. It's not going to be instant. We're in a world of instant gratification. You're not going to see that from this job. But he's done an outstanding job thus far with what he's had to work with and with how quickly he's gotten them competitive. They might have hit a wall, if they did, that's fine. I think you still have to look at the way that they're trending, and you have to acknowledge that that program's on the right track. Coach Capel and his thoughts after last night's game. Disappointed in our performance. I didn't think we had the required and necessary energy uh, to start the game and throughout the game that's necessary uh, to win, and especially for a team that's lost four games in a row. The thing is, I don't think Syracuse had it early either. And so that's what makes it especially disappointing for me, um, you know, with the effort that we put in today. Uh, in the first half, it was we fouled too much and we didn't keep them out the paint. 34 of their 37 points came on free throws and in the paint. Um, and so we have to do a better job there. And then we did a poor job of attacking their zone uh, in the first half, having 12 turnovers against it. Um, just a poor job by us in doing that. Obviously, their zone is good. Hughes is an elite-level scorer, probably the best scorer in our league. He had a huge game. Uh, even when they weren't really wired and, you know, loaded for bear, just like us, they had a guy that could get them going, and uh, he did that for them. So, again, congrats to them. Where and in what areas of the game do you notice that lack of energy the most? Well, today it was everything. It was everything. It was every aspect of the game. I don't know. I don't know. How do you motivate a team that's lost four in a row and loses like this? Yeah, well, you know, there has to be self-motivation, too. That has to be a part of it. And we obviously didn't see that tonight. As you're rebuilding big picture, you go through a smaller rough patch like this. Is it at all difficult to uh, stay true to your convictions, to stay true to the plan, or just 
It's not true. It's, it's, it's not hard for me to do that. Um, you know, we have to be better. When I say we, I'm not blaming anyone. It's we. It's me. I'm responsible. So we, we have to be better across the board. Um, and we will be. Very authoritative words there from Jeff Capel at the end. You heard a couple of times where he was asked questions and his response was, I don't know. And a lot of times we look at equivocation from coaches and we think, well, why don't you know? Isn't your, isn't your job to know? In some cases, it's just kind of how it works out. I, I had current Ohio State coach Chris Holtman tell me at one point, the toughest job we have is to get a group of 18 to 22-year-old kids to play basketball for 40 minutes. Sounds simple, but it's accurate. Had Dave Dickerson, the head coach at USC Upstate, tell me last year that moods can change. The moods can change just walking from their dorm to the gym because you're dealing with college kids. Just how it is. And it's tough to do all the things that are tasked of coaches, to be not just an X's and O's guy, but a psychologist, a psychiatrist, all these other things. It's really tough to get all that done, which is why I was so fascinated to hear him say at the end that, It's not just about motivating players. There has to be an aspect of self-motivation in there, too. That's an incredibly overlooked aspect of playing any college sport, much less college basketball. It's really overlooked when we start talking about self-motivation. You have to have the drive to get into the gym, to get shots up, to lift weights, to do all the things you need to do, and to handle the academic part of it. You can't have somebody constantly standing over your shoulder telling you to shoot 100 free throws or to get up 200 shots. You have to have that drive in yourself. The great ones do. And these current Pitt Panthers likely do as well. You're going to have games where you throw a tire. It just happens. And last night appears to have been one of those nights. Some more words from Jeff Capel. Jeff, how much of that that size stuff is just, I mean, is it still a talent thing? I mean, that they have big guys that are better than your big guys. Well, I just think they're older. You know, if you look at their big guys besides Gary, they're older. You know, Dolajah and Sidibe, I think this is both of them. I think they're juniors. So they've been in that program. They've played. You know, they've had a chance to be backups to guys, and now it's their turn with Sidibe this year. Um, and he's been prepared for that challenge. You know, and he's and he's done a good job. Dolce has been a really good player in their program, a very versatile player. Um, and so I think that obviously Hughes is a guy that's older. He's a redshirt junior, so he's a little bit older. And so I think that has to do with it. And then Gary A can come in as a freshman and kind of figure things out and take some time. Now that we're in late February, you know, he's playing really, really well right now, but not a lot was required of him early. He's able to – to come in and figure things out, learn, learn their system, learn the spots in the zone, learn what they want from them offensively without the pressure of having to, you know, be the guy right away, so to speak. Are you worried that maybe your attitudes could start going south and it's going to play? I'm worried about everything. I'm worried about everything. And I've been worried about everything, um, you know, since we've been losing. You know, I think a coach's nature is to worry. Um, And when things aren't going right, you probably tend to worry a little bit more. Even when things are going well, you're worried that, man, I hope it keep, you know, continues to go well. We have to keep this. And so, you know, these seasons are long. And as you get into February, that becomes the grind for every team, every program in the country. And you have to be mentally tough enough, physically tough enough to be able to push through. And we haven't. We haven't. It's funny that Jeff Capel unwittingly answered the first question I would ask him. And granted, I tend to ask a lot of introspective questions and people rip me for that. That's fine. I'll take that. But 
the first thing I would ask him is, what did you learn from your time at Oklahoma? What did you learn from your time back with Coach K? And if you listen to him and listen to hear just everything he's saying, not just the time that he spent with Coach K, not just the time he spent as a head coach, not just the fact that his father, a legendary coach himself, you can hear the maturity in everything he's saying. And it's okay to not always have all the answers. You hear the maturity in him. You hear the constant drive for self-improvement. You hear the constant inquisitive nature from Coach Capel. And he says authoritatively that they'll get it right. And you tend to trust him that they'll get it right. But for those of you at Pittsburgh, you wonder if you've gotten the right guy. You wonder if he's the the best choice to carry you forward. I don't know how you couldn't think that now. Just hearing him speak, sure it's been a rough patch. But you have to realize you've got the right guy. Syracuse last night in its victory. Elijah Hughes, 25 points, 8 of 15 from the floor for Syracuse. Nine boards for Hughes. A lot of commentary in the postgame presser. If you, if you want to go back and listen to Jim Beham's remarks about Hughes and how he feels he's underappreciated, it might be worth your time. Joe Girard, 16 points for Syracuse, 5 of 10 from the field. And then you heard Sidibe mentioned, 13 points for him. 5 of 6 from the field, just 3 of 6 from the line. Didn't matter. He still turned in a double-double. 10 boards for Sidibe for Syracuse. 26 of 56 for the Orange from the field, 46.4%, 8 of 22 from 3, 36, and nearly a hook. Another problem, 12 of 19 from the line, 63.2%. They were 0 of 3 in the second half, but when you win by that many points, it doesn't really matter. Just something to keep in mind. Pittsburgh, meanwhile, had just one scorer in double figures. Justin Champagne, 4 of 11 from the field, 13 points, 5 of 5 from the line. 17 boards, 17 of Pitt's 32 boards, a significant number. Pitt on the game, 16 of 55, 29.1% from the field. They were 7 of 23 for 30% in the second or in the first half, which was actually better than they were in the second half. They were 9 of 32 for 28% in the second half, 2 of 10 from 3 in the first half, 4 of 16 from 3 in the second half, 6 of 26. They were 11 of 14 from the line. Like I say, you're going to have nights when you throw a tire. And that was Pitt's night when it's going to throw a tire. Pitt could get knocked out in the first round of the ACC tournament. Pitt could win two, three, four games in the ACC tournament. But again, I think if you're making the argument that Pitt didn't get the right guy and they're not trending forward, I'm not really willing to hear that argument. Break two. Come back. Go over Notre Dame and BC as we wind down the program. This is Locked on ACC. More next. Welcome back to Locked on ACC, February 27th, 2020. I am Brian Wilmer. Segment three, BC Notre Dame. Depending on your viewpoints, your fandom, either a thrilling last second shot or a heartbreaking last second shot, Determines things in Chestnut Hill. TJ Gibbs hit a bucket with .1 remaining last night. That propelled Notre Dame to a 62-61 victory over the Eagles in Chestnut Hill. Notre Dame really had to have that one. They always have to have it when they play BC, but they especially had to have it 
in this case, got them to 18 wins on the season, nine in the ACC. There's still probably a bubble NCAA team at best. But if you're looking for any kind of postseason play, if you're looking to go to the NIT or something like that, you've essentially locked that down. Another double-double for John Mooney. Shrug. Oh, well. 22 points, 12 boards for Mooney. Prentice Hub, Nate Leshevsky, 10 apiece for Notre Dame. Hub just 4 of 14, 2 of 8 from 3, but managed to haul in 6 boards, dished out 4 dimes, and helped the Irish in their victory. Nate Leshevsky, as I mentioned, 10 off the bench, 3 of 6 from the field, 2 of 5 from 3. He also grabbed 5 boards. Notre Dame had 35 as a team. Gibbs, 4 of 12 on the night, 1 of 5 from 3. Again, all these things don't really matter. He had nine points, didn't really shoot all that well, but when you consider the one shot he hit was a big one, you'll take it. You're absolutely good with that. Notre Dame on the game, 24 of 58 from the field, 41.4%, 7 of 27 from three, almost 26%. Notre Dame only got to the line 10 times. They hit seven of them, 70% for the Irish from the stripe. 30 in the paint, 14 off miscues, Nine on the break, nine, not a great number, but you'll take it. Eight on the boards for a second chance points, 11 off the pine. The big one's off the pine coming from Leshevsky. BC had three double-digit scorers, all of them with the same total. Stephon Mitchell, Jay Heath, Derek Thornton, all with 12 apiece. Mitchell with a double-double, 12 points, 11 boards. Four of nine from the field was Mitchell. Heath and Thornton, both five of 11 from the field. BC out-rebounded Notre Dame 36-35, and that 11 from Mitchell absolutely helped with that total. BC, 24 of 59 from the field, 40.7%, 9 of 30 from distance, 30%. Just four of five from the line for BC. We talked about Notre Dame not getting to the line very much. BC got to the line... Even fewer times. But they did hit four of them. 26 in the paint for the Eagles. 10 off of cough-ups. No transition points at all. 21 off the pine. And 14 on putbacks. Notre Dame led that game for just shy of five minutes. It was that .1 second that really made the difference. If you're looking back at that game and trying to break down. Where did it all go wrong? I keep telling everybody, it's not just one play. It's not just one moment. As big as that shot was, BC really controlled a lot of that game. It's just Notre Dame controlled it when the final horn sounded. As we wind down a couple of quick notes, a lot of NFL combine stuff going on around the nation. As far as analysis, breakdown, whatever else. We'll talk a lot of combine stuff. We'll talk a lot of draft stuff here on the network, but we'll give you Some combine information here on the program. It's not going to be a primary focus, but we will talk some combine stuff as the days approach. Also on tomorrow's program, we'll get you ready for the weekend in baseball. Starting to warm up a bit, although here in the Carolinas, maybe not so much over the weekend, but it is starting to warm up a bit. We get into baseball, softball, start to feel a little warmer, maybe shake off the cold of of a long winter. Baseball and softball breakdown coming up tomorrow. Also, if you're looking for positional breakdowns, I'll try and link this if I can. I I may have 
the link around, not sure. But my good buddy Matt Connolly at the State Newspaper in South Carolina did an outstanding breakdown of Clemson spring football, talking about each position, who's back, who's expected to be a star. Most of them you can probably name, but some interesting positional battles. And he's got a storyline at each position. And I, I think the world of Matt, I think the world of his writing, he's one of the best in the business. If you want to break down Clemson football, it's on the state's website if you want to go track that down. But again, I'll try and share that link if possible. Just, uh, again, more of Matt's usual quality work. We'll talk a lot more football as time approaches as well because we're starting to hit the home stretch in basketball. Strange to say. Sneaks up on me every single year. Get to the end of basketball season. I'm like, where did the season go? Even though it seems like it takes four years instead of four months to get through a basketball season. All that and more coming up tomorrow and on future programs. I'll remind you one more time if you want to email us, lockedonacc at gmail.com. You can send us your thoughts, your voice memos, whatever else. Again, keep them short, keep them of value. You might hear yourself here on this very podcast. You can also tweet us at LockedOnACC. We'd love to hear from you. With that, let's bring to a close the February 27th, 2020 edition of Locked on ACC. We'll see you right back here tomorrow. No basketball to break down, but plenty of other stuff to hit, and we'll do it. Be safe, be good, be kind. See you tomorrow, right here on Locked on ACC. Love you. Mean it. (laughs)